0: From Small Data Industries, this is Art and Obsolescence. I'm your host, Ben Funeradden, and on this show, I sit down with artists, collectors, curators, and conservators, people that are shaping the past, present, and future of art and technology. I've been looking forward to sharing this week's episode with you all for so long, not just because we'll get to hear an extended conversation with legendary net art icon Shu Li Cheng, but... Also, because we have a very special guest host today.
1: Hi, I'm Emma Dixon.
0: Now, before I hand things off to Emma, just a few housekeeping items. First, just a reminder that you can now leave voicemail for the show by calling one eight three three 833 art data that's one 278 3282 Feel free to leave questions or respond or comment on anything you hear on the show. And second, just a mild content warning. There are no graphic details, but this conversation will touch on instances of anti-trans and anti-queer violence and hate crimes. Now, without further delay, let's hand things off to our guest host, the brilliant and talented Emma Dixon.
1: My day job is sort of data engineer work. I work at Artsy. I also work at Web Recorder as a general developer, and I take side jobs wherever I can doing, I'm going to call it conservation technician work. Um, So I'm really interested in digital art, time-based media, electronic art, whatever you want to call it. And I've worked on several teams as sort of a technician on conservation efforts and archival projects, and that's sort of where my passion is. So I was a part of the 2017 team between NYU and the Guggenheim that restored Julie's 1998 to 1999 work, Brandon. Brandon is a sci-fi road trip take on the life of Brandon Tina that uses audience interaction in a couple of points and draws really heavily from court transcripts of other hate crimes against trans and, you know, sort of LGBT people in general. So it takes from court cases, medical records, and sort of historical records of trans people, and it weaves that all in together into a road trip. That's the general idea. It was a wonderful project. Um, It was a huge amount of work. It was great. I hadn't encountered net art before. I think the, like, closest thing was Pittsburgh, where I'm from, is very invested in reminding everybody that Warhol was born there. So I was aware of some of his sort of time-based media sort of works or video art, but that was really the only exposure to that sort of art that I had had. So when I started looking at Brandon, I was really just blown away, honestly. I think a lot of it was just like the power of the piece. It was so well-researched and it was so beautiful. There was just so much in the code base you know it took me like a year to read through even you know close to all of it yeah and i got really invested in the piece i think it was because it was just so well done and so interesting and i hadn't seen anything like that before and when Mm -hmm. i was done on the project i got a tattoo about (laughs) about the piece so i was sort of invested at that point i was in it and it was really formative for me it made me want to you know keep getting jobs in the field, so I was in a good position to talk to her again and see what she was up to. So when I started talking to Shuli, I asked first about a bit of her background and how she kind of got into the field, because I was mostly familiar with her work from sort of a dry, you know, observer position, so I was interested to see what she thought about it.
2: Yeah, so I wanted to probably start from the beginning. I really want to make cinema, so I studied cinema. At the same time, it was late 70s, early 80s, so this was really the beginning of the portable video medium became available or accessible too many artists. But the 80s is also quite the time for a lot of protests. So we were always using these portable video for documenting on the street. So I would say throughout the 80s, 90s, I, you know, we were using a lot of video and got into cinema. At the same time, the early 90s is the web, the web, the internet became available. So this is the time I sort of jumped on to the superhighway, got diverted, and became calling myself homesteading cyberspace or squatting the server, whichever server I can find. So in a certain way, by the time I met Brandon, 1998, 1999, it seems like a good time to say goodbye to the web, you know, pretty much by... 2000, I kind of got into the post-net crash kind of period. So at the moment, fictionally, I created a Bionet, which is built inside human body and occupied by the Genon Corporation, which is a biotech corporation. Uh, so if you ask me which medium I'm using now, it's probably best answered as I'm using virus as my medium now.
1: I saw one of your recent sculptures. I think it was Red Pill 2021, which was a sculpture of an enormous virus, if I'm right.
2: really? it's a one meter long. I would prefer to make it two meter long.
1: <laughs> well, it reminded me of... Um, so for some background for the listener, I have visited the Fails archives, and I've had the chance to look through some of your collection there. And it reminded me, I think when I was looking through that archive, I found small handmade pills. I think they might have been theory pills. It was really uh, fun for me when I was looking at some of your recent work because I was like, oh, there's this wonderful thread about, you know, viruses.
2: Yes, it's uh, interesting. Speaking of this, uh, recently the archivist at the Fels uh, actually sent me the image of these pills from Brandon and they were really wondering how to preserve it. Because uh, uh, the cell is actually kind of dissolving the cell a bit, you know. We have a, a zoom meeting too, and it was actually quite a serious meeting about these pills. They were wondering how to best present it to the public, and also the question would be about uh, how the, if the plastic material is deteriorating, how they're going to rescue it, and you know what's the matter. I'm actually probably the least person to care about my archive, you know. uh, But anyway, sure, I think for the pills, for sure, they should be preserved. And they are really quite interesting objects, you know. I think it's more about my time. Somehow I couldn't catch up with myself. I keep producing new work. And with the old work, I finish one work, I put it aside, I put it in some sort of order either now with the computer laptop folders or uh, any kind of material. It's also in a folder, in a paper folder. I always think once I put it in the folder, it's fine. Then I just leave it there. You have to understand, when I moved out of New York City in 1997, I finally couldn't deal with the gentrification. I moved out of my my base on Bowery and became the digital nomad. So at that time, of course, all my stuff, you know, 20 years in New York, all the works I produced I had to move somewhere. I think I did put it in uh, storage for a couple of years and finally thinking it really actually started costing quite a lot of money. I ended up with a a sort of container, like a 20-foot container and put all the stuff in the container, including all these films, videos, you know, whatever. It's all in different boxes and put it all in the container and truck it to the farm at Andy's New York. And that was that. So think about, let's say, from 2000 until the work got uh, collected or donated to Fell's library, It must be over 10 years, and it's been, it would be, it was in this container. Amazing when we start uh, taking things to NYU, the Fells Library, to find that actually all the material is still readable. You know, if you think about the films, a lot of videotape actually is still readable. You have open real videotape. Anyway, so again, when it got, to Fells Library, I guess it was in boxes for another four years, five years, I think Fells Library finally organized it, you know, in a way that people can visit and look at it. I wasn't so involved with this whole process at all. I really appreciated that they did all the cleanup and organizing and they labeled it. So uh, from time to time, yes, they would ask me some questions and
1: all that. I guess it's really interesting to me, that attitude about the archives, because your pieces are so complicated, right? They have so many different components. And from the little bit of research that I've done, they have so much of a body of work of research behind them. like. Brandon, for example, you know, when you start digging into the code and sort of the material along with that, there's just reams and reams and and photographs and all of this research that you that you had to do. Do you consider that part of the work or it's just sort of what you do leading up to it? And once it's done, it's done. It can go in a box.
2: All the research, of course, I treasure all the research. Also, because uh, mostly they are really years of work. And there's quite a lot of cross references from collecting different articles, different books, reading different books, reading different references. Of course, this should become a part of the collection or, you know, I'm very happy that it could be available to actually study the research process. When I was presenting the work, I probably wasn't particularly thinking how people would dig into the back
1: of the, how the work was presented. Yeah. How did you develop your research process? It's just so comprehensive. I keep going back to Brandon because this is the the piece that I have looked into the most. But, you know, there were whole manuscripts. There was just there was so much research. How did you develop the process and keep that all straight as you were going through and developing the piece?
2: I think at the end, Brandon, you have to think about it. it was done by 1998, 1999. For me, it's almost like ten years of research into the web as a medium. You know, I think I started with using modem, with using BBS, for example. Uh, so that was, you know, very early nineties, before the web and before different internet as a communication mode. So I was digging into BBS chat lines and using modem to connect. There's different kind of area of studies. Of course, I'm very interested. So. Is kind of accumulate and then you know around that time also the whole gender studies became quite um, significant right Its it started be, becoming an issue. So you right, sort of dig into the gender study issues there's quite a, a kind of movement of cyber feminist. Brendan for example started with two stories right One is Brendan. Brendan Tina, who, because of the gender identity issues, got raped and murdered on new Christmas Eve, 2003. And then the other story also came out around the same time at uh, Village Boys is uh, Julian Dibble's Rape in the Cyberspace. So sort of took these kind of, you know, new stories and came out with a one-year museum project, right? <laughs> And in that process, there was a, a lot of research need to dig into. You know, for example, for the Brandon project, I actually went to the court in Nebraska. So I was able to stay in the courthouse and living through all the court documents. Uh, same with, you know, I really want to take the, the highway, uh, the Nebraska highway, because I, I kind of have this proposition about if Brandon would ever got out of Nebraska maybe he would have a different fate you know you you know how at that time a lot of homosexual uh, would actually get out of the middle town or uh, middle America go to east coast west coast Uh, so instead of get out of the state highway I ended up upload Brandon to the cyberspace but you know this is the kind of uh, proposition I was making so I really have to go there and drive through uh, the Nebraska Highway. And that's why the whole road trip uh, interface came about,
1: right? I didn't realize that you had actually driven on that road. That's so interesting.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Did you take any photos?
2: Yes. There should be some photos. I think all the core documents that I copied was at the archive also, right? It should be. In 3x3x6, the piece I did for the Venice Biennale 2019, I actually studied 10 criminal cases that involved the person because of gender ID, gender identification, or sexual affiliation that was incarcerated. And for each case, I also dig in quite a lot of court documents. Of course, currently... Everything became much simple because a lot of court documents actually is actually internet accessible.
1: Yeah, it's it's um it's going to be daunting for any researcher to try to go through all of the research that you've been doing for all of these pieces. It's really an incredible corpus of work. So I'm interested. What is important for you when you're documenting a piece? When you're you're sort of writing down what people should know about a piece? What's important in preserving it? I'm so bad.
2: I'm really, actually really bad. There are always manuals that I prepare for the installation. For example, for Baby Love, it's quite a technical, complicated piece uh, with upload of the love song, Wi-Fi transmission live in the museum, each teacup. Moves and you know each wheel moves. That you can see people. There was quite a bit of maintenance issues. So uh, that we actually have the manual for how to maintain the work during the exhibition because that piece also at the end traveled quite a few countries or quite a few different museums and festivals. So uh, for that piece there was manual. So there's that. For example, three by three by six, the Venice exhibition. I didn't get to have it collected and I actually have so much materials including all the different construction, instruction, you know, these materials that I have not quite organized all of them. But of course, all the, you know, I do work with a crew of, different technician programmer, they all together put into different manual to about how to operate it, how to maintain it. Uh, so mostly I am probably very careful about this. You know, I have to make sure any of my work during the installation is running well. So in terms of manual, operation manual, how to open how to turn on the installation. I don't know if you know this about like how an artist does this kind of work. You know, it doesn't matter how complicated the technical you are doing. At the end, when you install in the museum, you have to design the so-called like kind of one button operation. You know this. The technician in the gallery, in the museum, they can really turn it on and make sure it's all running. And then you have all these in case off kind of situation so this is probably much what I can do you know what I was doing but uh, I wasn't really paying attention about how it gets preserved throughout my career I did lose quite a lot of different installation because there is no way to uh, keep it and so it had to be destroyed, you know, for different situations. So it happens. And uh, of course, I have to kind of assure myself, say, yeah, it could be reproduced, you know. But when the work is not collected, I really have uh, no way to keep it. You know, like, for example, the Locker Baby Project, the first edition is actually baby play. Which was like a giant football field. It would be impossible to keep it, and it would also not be possible to ship it back to America to me, you know, so we have to destroy everything. Another piece, uh, Bowling Alley, that was uh, at Walker Art Center. At the moment, Walker Art Center claimed that they actually collect Bowling Alley, but they only collect the web version in a way. So the actual installation also got destroyed. Yeah.
1: I want to ask a specific question about some of your NetArt pieces. NetArt is obviously, you know, specifically vulnerable in a lot of different ways. And you've had one piece restored or, you know, translated from Java applets to JavaScript. How do you feel about some of your other pieces? Would you like to see them restored or... This
2: is one of the questions I have also for myself and actually gets me nervous or sleepless sometimes. I was very lucky in a way. When I was doing Brendan, I was working at Vak in Amsterdam. And Vak is actually a very well-organized new media space. So immediately I got there. They pretty much gave me a team. You know, they gave me a team with a designer, interface designer, uh, graphic designer, programmer. It was quite a team, and everything works really amazing. You know, I do the actual installation. I got a, a sculptor to collaborate, and I had two curators work with me. So it was a very huge project, and in a certain way, it, it was well done in that sense. You know, you have the project like a film production. After that, I didn't have this kind of facility or studio that I can work with. In 2000, I got the uh, commission to to do a project. It's actually a kind of a woman project that's going to gather together at Hanover in Germany. And they asked me to make a project, so I want to do this project called Carry On. It's about the suitcase, Carry On suitcase, or the migrant a uh, woman who came to Germany with all these suitcases. So I really want to be able to examine the suitcase. What you know, of course, it is going to be makeup, right? So you kind of I invite different migrant women to make up a suitcase of what they would bring uh, with them when they come to the new country. At that time, I thought that we have the collaboration with the airport, and so I was going to put these installation at the airport and really put the put the carry on through the surveillance belt y- you know the scanning of the suitcase image i would you know feed it live onto the internet mm. <laughs> i really love this concept so this was in 2000 yeah and because it, it's a german project and I couldn't figure out how to program in live and also I actually have to go through the, uh, the German system to see if the organizer can give me the support from the airport and uh, also from the scanning machine company that I am able to basically hack into the surveillance camera to be able to fit into the internet. So at the end, the organizers say, we cannot help you. But anyway, we do have, you know, German Science Technology Study Research Center in Cologne. And in this place, the, you have about, you know, more than 1,000 researchers. You have web programmers, you have scientists, you know, many different technical people. So they sent me there. They say, you go there, you go there for one month, and then you can do the programming and and ask for the permission to go to the airport to use the surveillance camera. So yes, I did go to Cologne. This was 2000. And I go through all the procedure, writing a letter to email to the defense department. (laughs) <laughs> the National Security Department saying, can I do this? It's an artist project, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't get the permission to have those equipment. However, at the same time, so I was supposed to be at these uh, science center to do my research on how to do the programming. I think particularly difficult part would be to do the live feed onto the net, you know. So I was there for a month, and all the programming team, they were like torturing me they say, surely you need to do another sketch, you know, so I was just like, every day I'm just keep doing sketch, and keep imagine you know, sort of how to program this, so three weeks passed, the programmer still asking me to do the sketch, and then finally three weeks passed, that we actually have, what you call it, a conference, so the programmer reported on my case, he presented like 60 pages of, uh, PDF files, you know. He really studied my case, right? He really studied my case of the programming I want to do. And then at the end, he informed the director of the center, say, surely this project is not possible at this age. It would take another three years, you know, until we can study the server flow, server say, like kind of sharing server platform, these kind of things. I was like, I don't have three years. I have three months before the show opens. Uh, so it, it was really panicking. And finally, the director said, OK, I'm, we're going to invite a teacher, a professor from a university who teach, you know, web interface. We're going to invite him to come and to see if he can solve the problem. So we had another conference. He came and then he's like, I can't do it, but maybe some of my students can do it. So by that time, I was due back in America, I came back to New York and suddenly the professor sent me an email saying, I'm going to send you a student who might be able to help you. Uh, His name is Roger. And so I said, fine. So I said, "Okay, Roger, what can we do? You know, now we have to fake this whole thing. We don't really have the, the real surveillance camera to have, but I still like to process the suitcase and blah, blah, blah. So he actually told me, okay, I can do this in three weeks with JavaScript, you know, a sort of mock-up kind of way. So he did it, right? So this was 2000. So this guy, Roger, who lived somewhere in Germany, I never met him. But since 2000, he programmed all my database, right? He's my programmer. <laughs> so we've been collaborating since 2000, and uh, I still never met him. I never talk to him. We program through the email communication only. We have never chatted either by writing or by voice. I don't want to know what he looks like. I never see his face.
1: You're not even a little curious?
2: No, I decide not to. You know, whenever I got a project like this, I came out with this idea of how I want programming. But I usually would ask him, "Do you think it's possible to do this or that?" And he would tell me, "Uh, "Yes, but surely it's very difficult." Then he say, "But it's a challenge, and I want to do it." And we would do it, and uh, we would make sure that he gets paid sometimes pay directly from the commission people. Sometimes, you know, I get an artist fee I share with him or different way like that. So all these years, he has programmed a lot of my stuff, you know, anything beyond coding. You know, I can do simple coding, but anything beyond simple coding, you know, database, interaction, all these, he did it. He's actually never programmed for other artists. He graduated from art school, but he's now like an IT person. I think he, he has a company and he's sort of doing like a server provider, that kind of thing. So we've been working for now 21 years. We are about to start a new project. Actually, I got a new commission, a web commission in London. So I actually start programming in July for this new project. He actually offered me a machine in his office, a total machine dedicated to all my projects. Right. without charge, right? So this is actually, it's quite amazing, but I don't know how to, you know, how to preserve this thing. I, I really have to do something, you know, but imagine, you know, who can who can understand this, right? All my work after Brendan is actually in a machine somewhere in Germany.
1: Does he have a backup? <laughs> this makes me so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I want to email him and be like, please, please upload that to, like, five different places.
2: He does have a backup, but we have some different stories, you know, like, for example, this project I did for Venice Biennial 2003, Garlic Equal Rich Air, and we were also having a lot of interaction live data. But then, because that project was sponsored by actually some company in New York, so the server was actually in New York, 2003, in the summer, there was a big blackout. And we lost all yeah. the data that was out of his control, and he get angry with this, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, of course, for him, he actually always have a backup, so, especially we are doing a lot of kind of live interaction you know with the audience, with the viewer you know uploading yeah. data. he always had backup, yeah, sorry, I'm giving the secret to you, so one day you, you have to go collect my computer hard drive.
1: I would In love general. to. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so fun. I would love to do that. I was curious, so many of the works that you do have user interaction, right? And it's a really important part of the the piece. And like you just mentioned, sometimes you lose that data. So what? how do you as an artist decide which parts of that are important to keep and to try to preserve as part of the work so that if like, a researcher came along and was you know, trying to find out what it had been like to experience this piece?
2: Of course, they are all important to keep. However, I find in my personal capacity, I just don't have that capacity to upkeep it. This kind of net art history, all the preservation, the digital preservation, and you know, we are not talking about installation, we talk about net art, we can talk to many net artists, you know. Like, uh, for example, you know Jody, right? Sometimes we talk about these, and you know they are much more uh, prolific in the net art scene. Their work get collected. You know, they also have the same problems. Sometimes their server went down. So everybody have the same issues about how to preserve their net art work. I think you can talk to any artist. Uh, you know the work in that sort of the early generation on the artists. Uh, mostly at that time when we start working with the institution, for example, Guggenheim, the Walker, you know, most of these institutions had no idea what the web part is about, right? Of course, the, the Guggenheim, for example, Brendan, you know, in the beginning was a, a commercial service sponsor and they sponsored for three or four years. They they decide. They don't want to sponsor it anymore, so they return all the materials. You know, I was able to get a copy of all the materials, and then I sent it to Guggenheim. You know, officially, it was a, a Guggenheim collection, but then, again, there was no department to deal with this. So, yeah. at that time, the Guggenheim gave it to the IT department, uh, and you know, every day they will worry about the security issues, but I still have to have the password to the server, you know, and it's very easy that you can designate my assets without me getting to your IT business. <laughs> uh, this kind of thing, right? I think it was in IT department for another few years before, you know, there was attempt to restore it, you know, and then finally working with uh, NYU, with you guys, you know. But uh, it's quite a interesting story if you think about you know the the process of how most of the institution doesn't have that capacity to upkeep a website even when they commission and all they collected you know
1: well it's so difficult right the web moves so yeah. fast and, and you mentioned jody and you know one of my favorite pieces of theirs is the famous one where, you know, it's Jody with a bunch of eyes. You can inspect it and you can see the diagrams of the giant sort of alien airship. But Hmm. I was re-looking at it recently and I noticed something that I hadn't for, you know, all the other times, which was that they also use the blink tag pretty prominently in the site if you look at the code. Hmm. And that's, of course, been deprecated. So I sort of realized looking at this for like the 20th time that I had been seeing it wrong. (laughs) <laughs> for, for years. So I, you know, injected some JavaScript into the browser and saw it blink for the first time. But it's just so difficult to keep up with pieces that are delicate like that, which is yeah. why I'm really curious what you sort of personally think about your own pieces. You know, the process with the Guggenheim was a sort of translation, you know, it's, it was been re-rendered in JavaScript. Do you feel that that's an approach that you would take with some of your other pieces that use Java applets? Or do you have... You know, yeah. a pie in the sky vision? No, no.
2: Actually, a lot of these small pieces you saw that this did on my website, actually, Roger also programmed it. And of course, he knows he can fix it. And uh, however, we don't really have a budget to do it. As you know, that it would be such a, a different uh, operation and different work. Sometimes I need to get access to the old website and we could do some quick fix. I don't know if you know about this project recently it's 2014 actually called Composing the Net have you seen this piece? I, I, it actually kind of taking all the archive from mailing list. You know, it's almost like an old tradition thing, it's like there's a lot of mailing lists for the new media studies like the Net Time, the Spectra in New York we have the thing so there's all these different mailing. For me it's a treasure. You know, a lot of artists use it as a platform to exchange news and you know, I guess it's kind of before Twitter. You know, we, we announce our event on Spectra. Spectra is more Europe based, for example. So we announce event on Spectra. So all these mailing lists has been existing since 90s, for example. Their archive is totally available you know and of course it's very good archives on their website usually the archive you can search it by date by subject by a uh, person who contributed so composting the net actually takes these archives and scramble yeah scramble the words and kind of dropping all the words onto the ground and at the end, small sprouts actually coming up from the ground. You know, I had this idea and I want to do it. Then of course, I have to check with Roger, you know, the possibility of retrieving from the server of all these archives. And because they are open archives, it's totally accessible. However, this work is also depending on if the archive server is up or down, right? So, so at different time, we could have that issue if the
1: archive is down. Do you have like a plan for that? You know, like you can, you can sort of see the future coming where these archives are down. Do you have a plan to switch to a static version or will you cross that bridge when you get to it? I actually simply do not have time to worry about this.
2: <laughs> I I think, you know, somehow I keep creating work. I'm right now preparing for a feature film. So this is like my biggest endeavor at the moment. At the same time, I have all these little projects that cannot seem to go away. For example, in London, this art project offered me to do public space, and they really wanted it to be public space interaction website. and I really like the idea that I wanted to do a, a simple website, particularly kind of reflecting on the pandemic. So I put together a proposal and it's fine. so uh, it should come out in September, I make sure I send you the the website. You know, so again, it's like a whole new project. And I'm also making another website, which I'm hoping I am, actually.
1: No, I'm excited. Honestly, I'm excited because I really like your your net work in particular. I'm really, really fond of. So I'm excited that you're doing more stuff.
2: Yeah, but then it's like, you know, of course, the reason I'm working with programmer also because these are the people who you are really doing research On which application, right? You know, Flash is out for sure. (laughs) You know, which application is workable, which software can be used. You know, sometimes I would talk to Roger, he would say, Oh, surely that's too old. You know, that kind of thing. I was like, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, conceptually, what do you think? And then he would say, Yeah, 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 it's okay. It's doable. It's a bit difficult. I think between me and Roger, the the main debate is how much uh, compromise I'm willing to take. (laughs) There's really always different language, you know, different software language can be used. And I really, myself, does not really have time to go into that research or update myself, but I'm really relying on uh, the programmer who had this knowledge. Uh, I think Roger only worked with me and still working with me because every time I give him a concept, and he always finds it so interesting that like he still feels, you know, it's for him more like a challenge that he does it. That sounds like a yeah. really fun collaboration.
1: And that sort of makes me think of one question I wanted to ask you, which was like, what do you think the best thing to do about link rot is? I was curious recently, and I sort of went through a lot of the art port backlog on the Whitney to see how many yeah. of the sites were still at the URLs that they claimed to be at, and a lot of them aren't. So I have, I have a list of, you know where I've written out all the sites that don't link to where they're supposed to link anymore. You know, it's a danger for net art. What do you think, what's the best thing to do in that situation? Do you move the piece? Do you keep it? What do you do?
2: Of course, for my own work, uh, any URL I have control of, I would update it, you know, but the whole world, the URL or the whole world is changing so much. How could you ever update all these links? Of course, sometimes, for example, my film website doesn't exist anymore, but uh, okay, you can find it in a way back machine, right? You know, again, it's just another process. Yeah, but it's out of control, right? How are you going to go back to all these links that you link? Yeah, I don't know.
1: I always wonder if artists just move them. If, you know, say the URL is bought by somebody else, but you were putting your piece there, and then they let the d- domain name lapse. I always wondered if people just put it up again at a different URL.
2: Yeah. I was thinking I should probably stop buying domain. <laughs> I went from like a server squat to, you know, like before I really feel like all my project, I don't really want to have server or my URL. It should always squatting the institutions so brendan.googandhunt.org or whatever. And then I got into a period of panic and I stopped buying all the domain names. So now I probably have like 20 domain names that I'm paying.
1: (laughs) I do this too, I like to buy domain names that I think are funny.
2: Yeah, so actually, you know, I've been keeping up with all your domain. It's already one issue, right? Uh, I'm trying, you know, since I do have the whole list of the different domain on the different URL on my website with all different projects, I try to make sure they are functional, but uh, it's, it's really an issue, you know. Uh, this is another thing, which museum is really collecting. Actually, maybe only two years ago that the museum, the Rice Museum, maybe in Netherlands, is actually collecting quite serious and they are project and it's with this woman that graduated from the goldsmiths. And, you know, so basically... There is not so much curators or collectors that's really capable of uh, dissecting all the server issues. You know, what's the programming code, all these. And this is really the biggest issue, I think. Even right now, you know, you think about this whole NFT craziness, right? I mean, how you talk about this, right? It's like you think about like blockchain, the artists have been using this you know, for all these years. And then suddenly it's like, you know, what does it mean? You know, you throw a token onto the chain. doesn't mean that, you know, everybody's just catching the trend,
1: right? Yeah, it's been weird. I don't know that I understand how NFTs work. Or maybe I do and they just still don't make sense. But it's been mm-hmm. <laughs> complicated to try to follow it.
2: it doesn't make
1: sense how...
2: Everybody thinks there's such a profit to make. Uh, Everybody jump into it, you
1: know, but sure, you know. (laughs) So you're not going to be making an NFT piece anytime soon? No, for me, it's funny.
2: Yesterday I got a curator asking me for a a site uh, based in Russia. And so I say, so what kind of work do you want? He's like, just give me some video. And so I give him some video link and then one one idea I have is some black and white video, you know, like kind of background video for my other work. And he say, Oh please, no black and white, right? Okay. Oh, okay, what? You know. I know. So it's like it's quite I still can cannot figure out, you know, but well, I'll say, OK, here's my work, whatever you think you can use. You know, I'm hoping the NFT can raise money for my film, so fine. <laughs> I think, let's put it this way, the collection of installation digital work versus the installation of net art are actually totally different. But the question remains the same thing. Any kind of installation work, electronic digital installation work, all the net artwork, it all face the same question is that do you want to preserve your work in a future date, be updated by a newer interface, newer technology, newer software, right? So for example, you find the the JavaScript instead of Java Applet for Brandon project. For me, I think this is what mostly like essential question and for the archivist actually is the biggest question. So when NYU, the first library posed me the question about these pills, it was the same question. They say, we really think these pills are for a job, but we think it's very interesting and educational. We want public to have access to it. At the end, I have to say, yes, but I do not think you can let the public to start handling the pills. So then the question for them is like, yes, we are looking into how to document it or how to find different equivalent uh, material to replace it. You know, one day if it's all gone, uh, if those uh, plastic using the pill just melt itself away. I have another project, for example, using kind of fast paper, you know, thermal paper, right? So all the images disappear also through time. So these are always the question. And for me, I am very positive and advanced person. So I always welcome a newer technology to replace it, right? I have no problem with it. For example, Bowling Alley is written for Nextgate 1.0. <laughs> uh, so how could you not update this browser, right? So I think the update of any software is fine, you know. Of course, as you did in Brendan, you did keep an old copy, you know, even in its non-functional state, it's fine. You keep this copy. However, to ever make it accessible again for any of these work, we have to reconsider which different kind of material can be used. In any way, it's really not a steel sculpture. You know, I think you, know, you see the whole history of how to restore a sculpture, restore a painting, that's a different story, right? So for a lot of my large-scale installation, I feel bad at the time that I had to destroy it. But at the same time, I feel now that the concept is there, the scheme, the technical scheme, the chart, the design, they're all there and they really can be restaged in maybe different way of updated technology. And I think this is important to make this statement for me right now. So I'm not gonna get caught by archivists telling me that they just got rotten and cannot be kept you know i hope one day that fells library can go claim my computer somewhere in germany
1: with all my all my project in it (laughs) well we've got you on record saying that so that counts for something i really enjoyed talking to you again
2: great thank you so much i'll let you go thank you check in later then Bye-bye. Thanks.
0: And as always, thank you, dear listener, for joining us for this week's conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. FYI, Emma is available for freelance conservation work. You should definitely look them up. And they're also kind of TikTok famous and make totally rad video art. You should definitely follow at underscore underscore Emma Dixon on TikTok. And you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Art Obsolescence. If you like what you're hearing, I hope you'll leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help other people discover the show. Before we go, just a reminder that a major mission of this podcast is to support artists that come on the show, and that's something we can't do without your help. So if you're in a place to give, I hope that you'll go ahead and head over to artandobsolescence.com slash donate where you can make a tax-deductible gift to support the show through the New York Foundation for the Arts. Thanks for anything you can do to help. But most of all, thank you for listening. It's been great having you here. Have a great week, friends. My name is Ben Funeradden, and this has been Art and Obsolescence.